All right, what we are doing is we're going to wrap up the cults and world religions tonight, and then over the next two weeks, we're going to do a study of denominations. We've had a number of people ask for that, and so we're going to do basically four or five different denominations a week and kind of give several of their key distinguishing beliefs or, or kind of what distinguishes them from other denominations. Um, and I think that will kind of help us view this in a couple different sections. One, you got the outer ring that we would say cults and world religions and then kind of coming in a little bit in, inside more Protestant belief systems, denominations. And so we'll do that over the next couple of weeks. But I wanted to take a little bit of time and review. But before we get into um, your outline... I was looking through, there's a belief system out there, I'm going to see if you all know what it is, there's a belief system out there, or a religion out there, that combines parts of Hinduism, Buddhism, Scientology, and Christian science. Does anybody know what it is? The New Age Movement. Heard of it? New Age Movement. Now, some of these religions kind of, uh, the New Age Movement draws some on the East, uh, the Hinduism and the Buddhism. And then Scientology, in a way, is a form of, and really Christian science kind of are connected to the New Age movement as well. And so I thought I would go through, and I know none of this is on your outline, but let me take three minutes and kind of give you an overview. Because sometimes people will say they believe in the New Age movement, but really there's, there's things that connect the New Age movement to Buddhism and Hinduism and Christian science and Scientology and some of the other Eastern religions and, and mystic religions. And so I thought it might be helpful just to mention a little bit about what the New Age movement believes. And this is coming from a book called World Religions Made Simple. Um, and it just gives us several pages on each one. But um, does anybody know anything about the New Age movement? No? All right, let me give you a few things. A couple of their beliefs. One, they believe that all is God and that all is one. They believe that God is a force, an, a, more of an impersonal force. Um, they believe in reincarnations, which, which, which belief systems or religions have we looked at that believe in reincarnation? H Hinduism? Yeah, several of them do, right? Um, they believe in meditation, which is something that you'll find across Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age movement. Um, they also practice astrology, looking at the stars, reading the stars. They believe in the unity of all religions. So here's basically what they're, if someone says they believe in the New Age movement, here's basically what they're going to say. They're going to say, you know what, you can find what you want to find and believe what you want to believe as long as you're open to what other people believe, it's all okay. So if you want to believe in Jesus, then hey, you go ahead and believe in Jesus, but the only thing you cannot say is that Jesus is the only way because you've got to be open to what other people and other religions believe. It has this about Jesus. They say, New Agers deny that Jesus Christ was God, but are happy to say that he was a wonderful teacher. So was Jesus a great teacher? Absolutely. But they're going to say that's all he was. Um, one other thing I was going to say. Here, here's what they tell all people who are interested in the New Age movement. They tell them to shop around. All right? That's what they say. New Age followers are encouraged to shop around for the beliefs that suit them. They may even choose a combination of beliefs from different religions. So exactly what do the New Age, those who are in the New Age movement, believe? Anything. Everything, anything. You kind of got to... You've got to find out who you're talking to because they may hold, they may find some things within Buddhism that they like. Then they may go over here and find something in Scientology that they like. And really, each individual person can really the beliefs and the world religions belief system is kind of like going to a buffet 
You go down the line, you look at it. If it looks good, you get a little on your plate and go down to find something else, put a little on your plate. That's really what the New Age movement is like. It is a buffet of beliefs. And you may go through the buffet line and find things that you like, but somebody else may go through that same buffet line and find other things that they like. And it's all okay. So how do you get to heaven? According to New Age. In their mind, any ideas? Any way you want to. In their mind, I've used the imagery of a mountain before. In their mind, your job is to find the path up the mountain. And as long as you find a path up the mountain, you are okay. What we believe, what Christianity teaches, it's not about us finding a path up the mountain. It's about Jesus Christ making a path down the mountain, and that's how you establish a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. That's why John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's one of the I am statements we're going to look at here in a couple Wednesday nights. But I wanted to kind of give you an overview of that because sometimes people, they'll say something. You'll say, that sounds like Hinduism. No, that sounds like Christian science. That sounds like Buddhism. That sounds like Scientology. Well, New Age Movement opens the door to really all of those. And so I kind of wanted you to be aware of that. All right. Well, what we're doing tonight is a review. And so we're going to jump right into this. And again, um, I'm going to go through your outline pretty quickly. If I skip anything, miss anything, let me know. And then I want to close then with um, five takeaways. And these aren't on your outline. These are just my five takeaways as I've gone through this and studied this. Five things that I think we take away from this whole 10-week study. All right? So size of religions. Again, these are estimates. All right? Islam, 1.2 billion. We're going to keep Mr. O'Brien busy up there tonight. Islam, 1.2 billion. Hinduism, 1 billion. A lot of people, right? I mean, j- just right there, the world population, you might know what the world population is approximately? Close to seven, is that right? Seven, seven and a, 7.3 maybe, billion. All right, so right there, we've got 2.2 billion. Buddhism, 400 million. 400 million people, think about that. A lot of people, you might know what the population of the United States is. A little over 350 million. All right, so there are more people in the world that follow Buddhism than that, than that live in the United States. That's pretty sizable. Catholicism, 1.2 billion, with 69 million in the U.S. And again, that is according to um, Vatican. Judaism, 16 million. So, We're jumping down a notch now, all right, but there's still around the world 16 million people who follow Judaism. Mormonism is 13 million with 5 million in the United States. So are we going to find Islam in the United States? Yes, but where's the majority of it? All right, other places. Hinduism, do we find followers of Hinduism in the United States? Absolutely. All of these we're going to find in the United States. What is interesting, though, is that you're going to find more Mormonism, Scientology, Jehovah's Witness, Christian science. You're going to find more of those in the United States. Why? They were founded here. I mean, for the, I mean Mormonism, where, where are their world headquarters? Salt Lake City, Utah. Jehovah's Witness, where are their headquarters? Brooklyn, New York. All right, so you're going to find more adherence to some of these other ones, because they are rooted or they're, or they're grounded here in the United States. So Mormonism, 13 million with 5 million in the U.S. Scientology, 
They say that there are 8 million passive followers with 200,000 active followers. Million. All right, Jehovah's Witness, 7 million with 1 million in the U.S. And then Christian Science, 300,000. It's the smallest one we've looked at. Now, again, understand that there are many... Um, so, for instance, in Buddhism, there are many offshoots of Buddhism. There are many offshoots and, and different versions, so to speak, of Hinduism. So, the teaching that I've given or the overviews that I've given each week are really designed to kind of be that umbrella, understanding that there can be different beliefs of different groups that may still kind of be connected to the overall. So, Number two, what makes a cult? Three things that we've said of, that make a cult. Here's A, they take away from the fact that Jesus was God. And this is crucial. They take away from the fact that Jesus is God. If you minimize or you do away with the fact that Jesus is God, you're most likely doing away with the resurrection of Christ and you fail to have Christianity. Right? I mean, if you do away with the fact that Jesus is God, you reject Christ for who he says he was, you're probably going to be rejecting Christ and what he said he did, dying on the cross for the sins of humanity, when you reject who God is and excuse me, what, who Christ is and what Christ did, then you do not have Christianity in any form, because at the core of all biblical Christianity is the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So when you're talking with people of other belief systems, one of the first questions you have to ask, or maybe not even ask, maybe you've got to kind of wrap your mind around is, what do you do with Christ? And I would even say that's the question you've got to ask people inside any church, any denomination, any belief system. What do you do with the person of Jesus Christ? Because if you simply believe he's a good teacher, that is not enough. Is it? No. What do you do with the person of Christ? Is he more than a teacher? Was he a, a, a prophet like Muhammad, as some of them say? All right. What do you do with Christ? Glenda? Yes. Yeah. He is a great teacher, but more. Was he a prophet? Well, in a way, yes, he, he was prophet, priest, and king, but he was more. All right, so what do you do with the person of Jesus Christ? So that one question is crucial. B, all cults multiply the requirements for salvation. So even if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you add in to the belief that Jesus is the Son of God, that yes, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ, but you also have to do good works. What does that mean? If someone says, I believe that, G that you have to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, but they also believe that someone has to do good works in order to have salvation, what does that mean? What, 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 what do you draw from those two statements, those two comments? Say so what? How much is enough? And it also implies that you do not believe that Christ has done enough. So we're going to help Christ out. I mean, I believe we've got to have Christ for salvation. We've got to have Christ for forgiveness. But you know what? I really don't believe that Christ is enough to save. And so we're going to add these works in. Most of these belief systems that we've gone through, in one way or another, incorporate works into what is needed to have a relationship with God. So Jehovah's Witness. Um, and we'll, we'll see this here in a minute. In Jehovah's Witness, you, you've got to be faithful to distribute materials. Mormonism, you've got to give to the church in order to have that relationship with God. You have to go on these two-year missions. We could go through all of these. There's all these things that each of these belief systems, each of these cults, each of these religions say that you have to do in order to earn God's favor. And Deborah, the question you ask is the, is, is the perfect question, and it's one I hope you all remember. People who think that you have to work and serve and do 
in order to have a relationship with God, the question that you always have to ask them is, how much is enough? When have you done enough to earn God's favor? And if I do something good to help me earn God's favor, but then I turn around and I do something bad, do I lose it? How do I know where I am? Right? I mean, isn't that the question that's, I mean, that's a, I've said this all throughout this study. That's a miserable, a horrible way to live. So they take away from the fact that Jesus is God. They multiply the requirements for salvation. See, they add to or take away from Scripture. Here's why this matters. Some people may not believe this is that big of a deal, but I believe it is a crucial deal. Where do we learn about God? Scripture. In Scripture is what is called specific revelation. There is natural revelation or general revelation the Bible talks about, but specifically we learn about God through Scripture. Where do we learn about Jesus? Scripture. Where do we learn about all of the other beliefs that we claim to have? So if we do away with Scripture, what are we left with? Not much. So what do you do with Scripture? If someone comes in and says, let's add to, let's take away, what they're basically saying is Scripture alone is not sufficient. And let me just say very clearly that we have to believe that God's Word is sufficient. Why? If we believe that it is inspired, God-breathed, and that, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 3 and 4, that it is uh, profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction, teaching, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, equipped for every good work. What, what Paul is saying is that God's word, as inspired by God, is sufficient to do what God has called us to do. So in our lives, where do we go to see how we live? Okay, that was an easy question. All right, we go to the Bible. The Bible guides us. It guides our lives. It should guide our churches. It should guide our interact. It guides every aspect of life. But when we start adding to it, for instance, like the Mormons do, they would give you a copy. In fact, if you go to their website, you sign up. I would not encourage you to do this, but if you were just curious, you go to their website, you sign up on their website, give them your name, your phone number, your email address, your address. Several things are going to happen. One, within a couple days, you'll have a knock at the door. All right, that will happen. The other thing that will happen is you'll get a copy of the Bible in the mail as well as a copy of the Book of Mormon in the mail. And what they will tell you is, yeah, we value both. When it comes down to it, if there's contradictions, they're going to elevate the Book of Mormon above. We talked last week about um, Catholicism. Catholicism, in my opinion, has, they value Scripture, but they also have the tradition of the church. They also have um, the infallibility of the Pope that they put on the same level. And they say all of this together makes up what is referred to as the Word of God. So when you start adding to Scripture and you feel the liberty that allows you to take away from Scripture, what you're basically doing is deciding what you want to believe. In fact, I heard of one of the founding fathers was a deist. A deist means that they believe God created everything but then took his hands off of it and doesn't care about it anymore, basically. That's, that's, the, that's the idea of deism. He was a deist. He believed that God created everything but didn't believe God had a personal relationship, didn't believe God wanted a, a relationship. To get, he, he, didn't want to, he wasn't concerned with humanity. What he did is he took his Bible and a knife and every time he found a verse or a chapter or a book that he did not agree with, he would cut it out. He would cut it out. And so he would sit down every day and he would read his Bible. But if he found something that he did not agree with, he would cut it out. What was he doing? 
taking away from the Bible. What else was he doing? He was creating. I mean, if you were to ask him, are you reading the Bible? I read it every day. The problem is, is he was creating a book, a Bible, that only said what he wanted it to say. He was creating a God that he wanted to believe in. He was creating a life based on the Bible that he wanted. So who was ultimately the authority? He was. He was the the one going to the Bible saying, I agree with this. This needs to be there. This does not need to be there. He's basically looking and saying, I'm going to believe and I want to do what I want to do. I value God. I I value the Bible in as much as it agrees with me. In a lot of these cults and a lot of these religions, we saw this with Jehovah's Witnesses with their New World Translation of the Bible. They've changed it. Remember, that's the one that has John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. They add in that, that word a. Changes the whole meaning. What they're basically saying is we're the authority. We can add to, we can take away, we're the authority. So these three things on, on this under Roman numeral number two are crucial. Take, they take away from the fact that Jesus was God. They multiply requirements for salvation. They add or take away from Scripture. All right. You ready to dive into the rest of this now? All right. Hinduism. What did we learn about Hinduism? I know we had probably two pages on Hinduism. I'm going to give you two points. Summarize all of it right here. A, they believe that all paths lead to God, that Jesus is a son of God, as are others, and that he did not rise from the dead. All right? They believe that all paths lead to God. So didn't we just read that about the New Age movement? Do you see the connection? New Age movement says, you know what, go believe, go through the buffet of religious beliefs and pick out what you want. All paths lead to God. Okay, there's a connection to Hinduism. So we believe all paths lead to God, that Jesus is a son of God as are others, but that he did not rise from the dead. B, other beliefs include reincarnation and that the cause of all suffering is ego. Now, is ego a problem? Absolutely. Pride is a problem. Ego is a problem, but they would say the cause of all suffering is ego. What would we say is the cause of all suffering? Sin. Very good. Sin is the cause of all suffering. can be traced back all the way to Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3, 15, in that area in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned, and then all these consequences for sin are laid out by God. The cause of all suffering ultimately is sin, which means What is the answer to all of that? Jesus Christ. He's the answer. Now, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we still live in a sinful world, right? So we've talked about this one of the weeks. I don't remember which one. When we give our life to Christ, we are immediately saved from the penalty of sin. We are saved from the penalty of sin. Because we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we are also saved from the power of sin. Of sin, We have the ability to say no because we have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we are slaves or servants to righteousness. So when we're saved, we're saved from the penalty of sin, we're saved from the power of sin, but it's not until Christ comes again that we are saved from the presence of sin. So we still live in a sin-filled world. We still live in the midst of sinful people. We see sin around us all the time, but that's Hinduism, all right? B. Not B, four, Buddhism. Buddhism. Give you a few more points about this one. A, Jesus was an enlightened teacher. Jesus was an enlightened teacher. They do not believe in an omnipotent creator God who exists apart 
from our universe. Similar with the New Age movement, they believe that God created everything, but yet He is part of His creation. So God is everything. So be careful how you treat everything because it contains God. God is part of that. B, they believe in karma, which is the moral law of cause and effect. They believe in karma. What's wrong with karma? You never know. It takes away God's grace. I mean, God's grace says, you do not deserve my love. You deserve my punishment. His mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. His grace says, I am going to give you what you do not deserve. Karma says, you do bad, you get bad. You do good, you get good. And what makes it hard is what you make, the bad you may be getting in this life because of their belief in reincarnation may be the result of the bad you did in the last life. So if you're a frog in this life, guess what? You messed up somewhere. You got you to work your way back up. All right? That's really this idea. They also say there's no such thing as sin, so salvation really isn't needed. See? The Bible isn't a consideration for them. They have what they call many scriptures. They believe that truth is a subjective quality that can only be experienced, not objectively communicated. So it makes sense that there's no absolute standard of truth because it is what you experience. D, they have a few other beliefs and practices. Um, found, found this interesting. The Dalai Lama and other monks shave their heads to signify the rejection of materialism. We should start that next week, right? Everybody who, who rejects materialism, shave your head. Some of us have a, not quite as much work as others. All right. Buddha, or two, Buddha taught that the idea of knowing or pursuing God is irrelevant and can hinder one's quest for enlightenment. And the idea behind that is, is that when you start pursuing God, people often begin to think that the way they're pursuing God is the right way and the only way to pursue God, and therefore it creates conflict, and Buddha, Buddhism is big about eliminating conflict. All right, Islam. Islam. Have I missed any? Were you doing good? Islam. A couple truths or facts about Islam. Muslims believe that Jesus was a Muslim prophet and that he was not the Son of God. They say Jesus was never crucified, neither did he die. Let's pause here for a second. What have we seen? What's one thing that links Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam? Or their, their, I would say their lack of belief in in their lack of accurate belief in Jesus. So if you go up to, to an adherent of Buddha, Buddhism, Hinduism, and Islam, and you ask them, do you, believe that, do you believe in Jesus? Well, in one sense, they're going to say yes. Muslims believe that he was a Muslim prophet. Others believe that he was an enlightened teacher. I mean, so one of the things that we have to be careful of is, well, we must all be the same because we all believe in Jesus. Well, do we all believe the same thing? about Jesus. That, that's where the, it's crucial. They have some other beliefs that include this. They, they do believe in eternal heaven and hell. Islam, adherents of Islam, Muslims do believe in eternal heaven and hell. Now, what heaven is and what hell is and how you get there and why you get there are completely different, but they do believe in heaven and hell. And then two, they would say that Satan is the devil who tempts Muslims to disobey the teaching of the Quran. The Quran is their holy book. Um, 
Remember when we talked about Islam, one of the challenging things about Islam is the word Allah. You all remember talking about this? What, what does the word Allah, if you translate it into English, what does it mean? How does, it, how does the word Allah translate into English? God. So imagine that you're a missionary in a Muslim-controlled country. Do you want people to believe in God? Yeah? So how do you translate that into Arabic? Allah. You see the challenge? If you simply translate it, it just translates, God translates into Arabic as Allah. So, how do you preach God? There you go, Jesus. But you see the challenges. That's why missionaries going to these regions of the world have some difficult challenges in front of them. Because we would say, no, we don't believe in Allah. Well, what if someone is, has grown up in, let's say, a, a Muslim-controlled country, Arabic-speaking country. They've grown up there. They're saved there. And you ask them, who do you believe in? They're going to say Allah. Do they mean the same thing as someone who holds to Islam? No. So you see the challenges that exist. So you have to be careful. Again, we're going to talk about this, defining your terms. So Satan, we already went through that. All right, number six, Catholicism. Catholicism. This is the one we talked about last week in great detail. The lesson is online if you missed it. But here's the Boiling it down in a nutshell. A, they believe that Mary is the co-redeemer and co-mediator. Co-meaning alongside or with. Who would they say Mary is the co-mediator and the co-redeemer with? Jesus. All right, Jesus. The problem with this is that the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus the Lord. All right, so that's the first thing. B, they believe in, in oh, let, me, let me read the rest of that. They believe in, that Mary is the co-redeemer and co-mediator. Further, they believe that both Mary and Jesus lived a sinless life. Um, why does this matter? I mean, who, what does it matter if somebody believes, yes, Jesus is the redeemer and Jesus is our mediator. What does it matter if they put Mary in there with Jesus? Okay. They would say Mary's sinless, but they're making her divine. I mean, remember the, some of the quotes we read last week about pr- how they pray to Mary and they elevate Mary. Um, furthermore, it minimizes or reduces the importance of who Jesus is and what Jesus did, and Jesus being the only way. Um, and I think anything that minimizes the person of Christ is dangerous. Anything that minimizes who Christ is and what Christ did should cause red flags to go up in our mind. B, they believe in initial justification by infant baptism. Kind of building on that, let me read all of this and I'll back up and explain. That good works are necessary for salvation and that one must follow the Catholic Church in order to be saved. In one word, how would you summarize this? Or a couple words. Good works. All right, justification is our standing before God. So how do we have, according to them, how do we have a right standing before God? Works. Yeah. And it begins with the erasing, what they would say, of original sin through infant baptism. That is initial justification. They, they, they create or begin this right standing before God through infant baptism. And then later through different things that the Catholic Church offers, penance and mass and different things, they can do away with personal sin. Um, 
But you see, that, you see the challenge with that, right? This initial justification, these good works that they require, this, um, these other, uh, I mean, works is probably the best way of, of putting it, this, this requirement to follow the Catholic Church, penance, purgatory, all these different things kind of fit into this whole works-based mentality. See, they teach that the Pope is infallible and that tradition is equal to Scripture. So in these three points, I want you to notice what we've highlighted. How do they take away from the fact that Jesus is God? By including Mary as the co-redeemer and co-mediator. How do they multiply the requirements for salvation? By including works through this infant baptism, good works, following the Catholic Church. How do they add or take away from Scripture? By adding in the infallibility of the Pope and that the tradition is equal to Scripture. So you see how they've done these three things that we're talking about um, here in these three points. That Hopefully that helps summarize it. All right, next, Mormonism. Mormonism. They deny the deity of Christ. How do they do that? They say that Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers. Remember talking about that? Jesus and Satan are spirit brothers. One chose a good path, one chose a bad path. And so it's created everything that we see today. All right, B, they view works such as faithfulness to the church, baptism, tithing, and other rituals as necessary for salvation. You know how you see Mormons here in the United States. What are, what, what are they a lot of times doing? Riding bicycles, right? They're riding bicycles. They're doing their door-to-door evangelism, and there's always two, right? They have one who's younger and one um, who's more, and younger is not the right term. They have one who's experienced and one who's less experienced. Age is irrelevant. But here's what's interesting. I was in Costa Rica. Guess what I saw? Two people riding bicycle. I was in Guatemala. Guess what I saw? People riding bicycle. Um, everywhere you go around the world, you, you see Muslim, uh, not Muslim, Mormons. It's the bad thing about doing all these and reviewing all these in one night is I, I start getting them confused. Um, They've grown around the world. What can we learn from them? Positive. Go and tell. Work, serve, minister. Go and tell. If you really believe what you say you believe, and it really is the hope of mankind, go and tell. Now, let's see how many of you are on bicycles tomorrow. No. <laughs> go and tell. Yes. Mm-hmm. At Walmart in this church, he saw by himself, hmm. and he walked up to him, and he didn't have a bicycle. <laughs> Fraud. Well, they have working hours. Their ministry hours, they have a certain number of hours they have to work a week, and so they shop on the other times, and they have things that they do um, extracurricular activities that they do. So it could have just been, you know what? He's at the Walmart grocery store. He saw it and said, you know what? She needs Jesus. If I was going to say anything about a father, I would say this guy looked like a father. I think the thing, Amber, you summed it up. Go and tell. Go and tell. 
I mean, I th- that's what I learned from, the, from looking at the Mormons. I mean, I think their belief system, once you dive deeper, it gets weird. And they have a lot of weird beliefs. But we cannot deny the fact that they go and tell. Um, something to learn. All right, next, Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness. They believe that Jesus was a created being who did not live a sinless life. He is now one of many gods. He is one of many gods. He was created. So do the Mormons believe in Jesus? Yes. Do Jehovah's Witness believe in Jesus? Does Islam believe in Jesus? Y'all are getting the hang of this. Does Hinduism believe in Jesus? Does Buddhism believe in Jesus? Does Catholicism believe in Jesus? All right. What do they believe about Jesus is the question. Jehovah's Witness, okay, we did A, B. They clearly identify works as necessary for salvation. They have several of them that they spell out, obey God's laws, associate with God's visible earthly organization. What does that mean? Be a member of their church, be a loyal advocate of his kingdom, and they do that through their material distribution. That's Jehovah's Witness. Christian science. Jesus was a mere human. He didn't actually die. He was hiding in the tomb. He was, so, sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? Yeah, peekaboo. Um, but what are they doing away with when they say that? Not just the resurrection. What led to the resurrection? The crucifixion. All right? So if you say Jesus didn't, wasn't actually crucified, he didn't actually die like that, he was hiding in the tomb, and they don't mean that he never died, they were saying that they, the biblical account of his death did not happen, I probably should have worded that better, but they basically say Jesus was hiding in the tomb, which means he was not really crucified, or if he was even maybe tortured or enduring some, in, endured some persecution, he didn't actually die. What does that do to, to what the Bible teaches? Did, 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 did Jesus die in our place, according to them? Was he your substitute? Did he shed his blood or die for the forgiveness of sins? No. So really what happens with this belief system is all of the work of Christ now begins to come apart. If you don't have the work of Christ, what happens? You don't have salvation. It's a big deal. Uh, So Jesus didn't actually die. He was hiding in the tomb. B, they say that sin is an illusion that you can conquer with correct thinking. Salvation is obtained when you stop believing in sin, sickness, and death. Wouldn't that be nice? I'm not going to believe in sin, sickness, and death anymore, and I'm just going to, when I stop believing in that, then I can have salvation. Why is salvation not needed? Sin's an illusion. If sin is simply an illusion that's a result of thinking about sin, sickness, and death, then salvation really isn't needed. What does the Bible say? Why do we need salvation? Because all have sinned, that there is none righteous, no, not one, that all have fallen short of his glory. We could go on and on and on, but Romans chapter 3 says so much about that. There's none that does good. There is none that seeks after God. We have all turned away. Again, we could go on and on. So why is salvation needed? We're sinners. Why does the cross of Christ matter? Because we couldn't save ourselves. We could not be that perfect sacrifice. Why? We're all sinners. See, it goes back to that truth. Going back to this truth, Amber, you mentioned of go and tell. What we have to be careful of is that we go and tell the whole story. So we go and tell. It's not just enough to say um, God loves you and wants you to be in heaven. 
What does that leave out? How you get there, what else does it leave out? Take up your cross, what else? What do we deserve? Death, right? For the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. So here's what, here's what we have to include. The reason the good news of the gospel is such good news is because of the reality of the bad news. That we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Before someone can embrace the reality and the truthfulness that Christ died to bring forgiveness and salvation and hope and eternal life. Before someone can embrace that, they first have to acknowledge that they need it. Right? Before someone can say, I need Christ to save me from my sins, they first have to acknowledge, I'm a sinner. Before someone can say, I need God's forgiveness in my life, they have to first acknowledge, I've sinned against God, therefore I have offended a holy and a righteous God, therefore I need his forgiveness. If you never acknowledge that you've sinned against a God, you're never going to believe that you actually need his forgiveness. So before, and this whole idea of going and telling is crucial, but before we go and tell someone, listen, God loves you, that is crucial, that's the foundation of the gospel, but we also have to understand that this is also part of the gospel. We're dead in our trespasses and sins, and while we were sinners, God sent his son Jesus to die for us, Romans 5.8, so that we could have a relationship with him. The, good, the bad news leads to the good news, which then leads to a decision that has to be made. You either reject this truth or you accept this truth. But you have to know the truth. It's crucial that you know the truth. What we have to be careful of is that we do not do the same thing that other religions do and that we only communicate the parts of the Bible that feel good. The parts of the Bible that we agree with. Is God loving? Is God forgiving? So let's just just go around and tell everybody God loves you and God forgives you. Is that all that God is? God is also holy and righteous and just. Okay? So now we have to put this together. See, God holds all of his attributes in perfect harmony and perfect balance. When we only preach and we only teach and we only communicate that God is love, we begin to ignore the fact that God is holy. On the other side, there are groups that only teach and only focus on God's holiness, His righteousness, and His justness, and they never communicate that God is loving and forgiving. God is all of these things. So we have to communicate all of them. Let's move on. Scientology. A. They say that Christ was a teacher who was no greater than Buddha or Moses. So did they believe in Jesus? Yes, but He's no different than Buddha or Moses, which is... Interesting because the Bible clearly offers distinctions between Moses and Christ. The problem is they don't cling to Scripture. B, they teach that man is basically good and in his evolution he will become godlike. Bible teaches the exact opposite. We went through it, man. There's none good, no, not one. And then C, they say the Bible in part is a product of Hindu scriptures. And they do not value the Bible as their ultimate authority. And so when you say, well, the Bible says we're all sinners, that there's none good, none righteous, no, none that seek after God. You know what? That doesn't really matter to them because that's not their final authority. They value it. Moral teachings are good, but it's not the final authority. All right? And then last, Judaism. Judaism. A, they do not accept that, the, that, that Christ was the Messiah, that he was the Messiah. 
Messiah, the Son of God, or that he rose from the dead. Talking about Jesus, they do not accept the fact that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, or that he rose from the dead. But do they believe that Jesus existed? Absolutely. There's enough historical evidence that that cannot be refuted. B, salvation is based on the obedience to the Old Testament law. Old Testament law, this... These ceremonies, these purifications, these cleansings, these dietary restrictions, these, I mean, we could go on and on. You can read all, if you're interested in that, you can read um, Leviticus. Y'all get all excited about reading Leviticus, don't you? It, It contains all of that. Deuteronomy contains all of that. When the Jewish leaders came to Jesus and they were trying to trap him, trying to trick him, and they said, What is the greatest law? What is the greatest command? In their mind, they were going back to all of the ceremonies and purifications and cleansings and rituals that they had to do. Remember what Jesus told them? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second, love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus answered which of those is the greatest. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And what he was teaching here is that all of these other things... These Old Testament laws ultimately fulfill these two things. They demonstrate a love for God above all else, and they demonstrate a love for your neighbor as yourself. Where Judaism gets it wrong, though, is they think that salvation is based on obedience to those 613 laws. And that's where, again, it becomes what? Works. becomes works. See? They reject the New Testament and add the authority of the Talmud. The Talmud was an ancient document containing all of these laws and how you... Not only did they have 613 laws, the Talmud broke it down into how you were to best obey those 613 laws. It was a breakdown. Okay, if this dietary law says this, then this is how you would follow that dietary law. Um, it really broke it all down. Now, here's what I want to do in, in the next five minutes. Five to seven. So I was going back through all of this and looking through all of this. And listen, we've gone through a ton of information, haven't we? Aren't you glad there's not a test? I taught, um, oh, years ago, I taught in a, uh, in a Christian school, senior high Bible. And this was what we did for one of the semesters was a lot of this information. And they did have tests over every bit of it. Um, but as I was thinking back through all of this, sometimes... I think we can, there can be so much information about each of these different religions and each of these different belief systems and each of these different cults that we kind of just walk away with this cloudy mind that says, I don't know what to, I I can't remember it all, so what do I do now? What I want to do is I want to give you five key takeaways, and these aren't on your outline, and in fact, I wrote these down in my office uh, this afternoon because I was just thinking about these, okay, what what can we take away from this? Here are my five key takeaways. This is what I'm taking away from this. All right, here's the first one. The importance of defining terms. When you're talking with someone of another belief system, another religion, you have to define your terms. It is not enough to go up to someone and say, do you believe in Jesus? What have we seen with all of these different belief systems? Yeah, they all believe in Jesus in one way or another. Some believe he was a good teacher. Some believe that he was an enlightened prophet. Some believe, I mean... the. Every one of them in some way value Jesus. Do you believe in heaven and hell? Do you believe in the Bible? Do you believe in eternity? Do you believe in the Trinity? All these different terms. What you find is that you're going to find groups of people 
who believe these things. Or, let me say it a different way, you're going to find people who use the same terms as you do, but mean things completely different. The one example I've used is talking about Jesus as the Son of God. Do you, do, you, do you here this evening believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Oh, so you mean God cre- created Jesus? Or do you mean that um, God and Mary had a relationship and Jesus was born? And so Jesus is God's Son? So that's what you believe. Define your terms. All right? No matter who you're dealing with, no matter, no matter what belief system it is, it is not enough simply to ask yes or no questions. Which leads me to the second thing. So not only do we walk away understanding the importance of defining terms, we also have to walk away understanding the importance of relationships. You are never going to argue anyone into heaven on your front porch. Now, you may present truth to them and the Holy Spirit may work with them, but you're not going to be able to argue someone into heaven. The vast majority of people who come to faith in Christ do so through a personal relationship with a believer that God then uses that personal relationship to open the door for conversations to take place where it is more than just a simple yes or no question. There is a demonstration of love. There is a demonstration of care and concern. There is a demonstration of I'm going to open my house to you. Come over. Let's have coffee. Let's talk. Let's read. Let's study. Those relationships, I believe, is what God many times uses to open the door to have those spiritual conversations with people. You've got, to have the re- you've got to be willing to have those relationships. That's why the people that God has already placed in your life should be your number one mission field. The people God has already put in your life should be your number one mission field. Why? Because there's a relationship. There's a relationship. All right? So understand the importance of defining terms. Understand the importance of relationships. Thirdly, understand the importance of prayer. Talked about this this morning, but let's look at it from a different angle. If all you want to do and if all people want to do is talk about their faith with someone else and try to argue with someone else and try to convince them that they're right, but yet they never spend time in prayer, I wonder where the real level of spiritual concern is. So if you have a neighbor and you're always wanting to argue with them about what they believe and what you believe and how you're right and they're wrong, but yet you never spend a minute in prayer for them, what does that communicate? You want to be right. What else does it communicate? You don't really care. And it communicates that you trust your ability and your knowledge more than you trust the power of God. When you're dealing with people of other religions and other belief systems, and you want, if you're concerned more than just about being right, you're concerned about their salvation, you're you're concerned about their eternal destiny, then you have to spend time in prayer for them. So that God would work on their heart. The Bible says that only God can remove the spiritual blinders that exist. You have to spend time in prayer. All right, so the importance of defining terms, the importance of relationships, the importance of prayer. Next, you have to understand the importance of personal spiritual growth. Personal spiritual growth, why? Well, the Mormons have said that their number one area of growth or their number one source of new converts to Mormonism is from former Baptists. Former Baptist. And the next thing I want to give you here in just a moment builds on this or kind of defines this a little bit more. But listen, if you are not growing spiritually as an individual, then maybe you're susceptible 
If you're not growing pers- if you are not personally growing spiritually, then maybe you're leaving that door cracked open a little bit to where maybe you're susceptible and you're vulnerable to someone of another belief system coming in and you becoming confused. I, I mean, the, the, let me go ahead and give you this fifth one, then I'll kind of tie these together. We have to understand the importance of knowing God's word. And notice that I didn't just say knowing God's word and leave out spiritual growth. It's possible to know God's word and not grow spiritually. Y'all realize that? It is possible to have knowledge without experience. It is possible to know truth, but that truth not transform you. So yes, we want to know God's word so that we can communicate our faith and we want to have that knowledge, but we dare not remove the knowledge of God's word from the experience of growing spiritually. This, the spiritual growth in our lives is fueled by the knowledge of God's word, but the Bible says knowledge alone. Does anybody know what the Bible says knowledge alone does? Puffs up. It makes proud. So what happens is when we only are concerned with knowledge and we neglect spiritual growth, we become proud in our knowledge and then we fail to actually impact other people because we ourselves are not pursuing God, we are not growing spiritually, and our lives don't have the impact that God's designed them to have. So uh, yes, grow in your knowledge, read scripture, study, learn. But be sure that that reading and that knowledge and that study is the fuel to your spiritual growth to where you are communing with God and your relationship with God is growing. Here's what will happen. When you are growing spiritually and your knowledge in God's word is increasing and you love other people and you are praying for other people and you are building relationships with other people, guess what is going to happen? You will have opportunities to share your faith, and God will use our lives in the lives of other people. It doesn't matter whether it's Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, Christian Science, Scientology, Judaism, Catholicism, Hinduism, Buddhism, or Islam. Did I get them all? Pretty close. It doesn't matter which one it is. If you are growing spiritually, and you are growing in the knowledge of God's Word, and you are praying for people, and you are building a relationship, it doesn't matter what they believe. God's going to give you an open door to talk with them about things that are eternally significant. And it is in that environment that you can start talking with them and say, I heard you talking about Jesus. What do you believe about Jesus? Because I believe in Jesus. What do you believe? And I'll tell you what I believe. And you start talking with them and they say, well, oh, you believe in salvation. Well, what do you think salvation means? Let me tell you what I think salvation means. Guess what happens now? These conversations are not a threat to you. These conversations are not a danger to you because you are rooted in the rock. You are growing spiritually. You have the knowledge of God's word. You are spiritually minded. Christ is working through you, and that is demonstrated through your prayer and your concern for other people. So what I take away from all of this, hey, the information is interesting. The information is great. But I almost think these five things hopefully is what we learn. Put, put all these notes in a folder and use them and learn from them. But understand the importance of defining terms. Understand the importance of relationships. Understand the importance of prayer. Understand the importance of personal spiritual growth. And understand the importance of knowing God's word. And when you do that and you pursue those things, then you're in a place to use the information in a way that can actually be used by God to transform hearts and transform lives. And that's the goal. All right, let's close in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, We've gone over so much information over the past number of weeks, and God, this information, um, many of it, much of it is very interesting, 
Um, I find it interesting and fun to learn what other people believe and the intricacies of their belief systems and what makes them unique. But God, knowledge alone is not going to transform a life. I pray you'd help us all here this evening to do what we've talked about, to walk away from this study with a greater desire to grow spiritually, a greater desire to grow in our knowledge of your word, a greater commitment to praying for people that you've placed in our lives, a greater commitment to building relationships with them intentionally for the purpose of evangelism, sharing our faith, having those conversations. But God, that as we have those conversations, we'd do so wisely and we'd define our terms and talk and love and demonstrate concern that you've demonstrated to us that we would turn around and demonstrate that to other people. God, I pray that you would use all of our lives to make a difference to whether it doesn't matter what belief system the person holds to that we're talking to. God, we just pray that they would see Christ in us. That they would see Christ in us when things are going good. That they would see Christ in us when things are not going the way we think they should. They would see Christ in us when our families are facing struggles. They would see Christ in us when we have all the things that we want, then they would also see Christ in us when our resources and finances are completely gone. They would see Christ in us in life and Christ in us in death. I pray that when they look at us, as we talked about last week, that they would see people who walk with Christ, who love Christ, who are growing in their relationship with Christ, and that that when they see that, it would create a curiosity in them that makes them want to know what's What's different about us? And God, we pray that that would happen, not for our glory, but for your glory. We thank you again for loving us. We thank you for the opportunity to study. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.